When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to That Gabby Roslin Podcast with me, Gabby Roslin. In this episode, the hugely talented and completely lovely and humble Richard E. Grant. He tells us what it's like to be Oscar nominated and the unexpected success of Can You Ever Forgive Me with Melissa McCarthy, which I loved. I love that film. He tells us fascinating stories of being starstruck at famous parties. Honestly, he makes us feel like we're a fly on the wall at these super glitzy events. He talks about meeting his hero, Barbara Streisand, and commissioning a three-foot sculpture of her, bless him, his friendship with Steve Martin and Dame Julie Walters, plus the incredible secrecy involved when being in Star Wars and the upcoming Marvel series on Disney+, Plus, Loki. And, of course, we chat about With Nail and I... So the very first time I interviewed you, I remember I left and I felt like I was skipping on air because you are just a joy balloon. <laughs> I don't know that my wife would agree with you that, Gabby, but I'm <laughs> delighted to hear that on this uh, rain-sodden morning, you feel that. Oh, no, I really do. And actually, it's very interesting because when I told people that you were coming onto the podcast, everybody said, oh, he just makes me smile. I'm going to take you back to the joy that you spread with the whole build-up to the Oscars. I remember just just waiting with bated breath for your next video that you posted on Twitter or Instagram of you either leaping backwards onto a bed or talking about Barbara Streisand. And we've got to talk about her because that's where we last saw each other was at her concert. That wonderful childlike joy is, is something special. And you had that before for a long time, haven't you? It's very generous and kind of you to say that. Um, because I had never experienced anything before or since like that run-up to the Oscars. You know, it, it, it essentially began in September a couple of years ago when Melissa McCarthy and I had made a minuscule budget film called Can You Ever Forgive Me? And they were already talking about the title was too long, who would go and see a movie with that title or these two people in it, about a lesbian writer who was a curmudgeon and uh, misanthropic, who embarked on this uh, fake letter-writing uh, crime spree. Uh, and when we arrived at the Telluride Film Festival in Colorado, which is literally a one-horse town uh, ski resort, we had no idea that this film would have any kind of you know, legs or, or life to it other than having a very, very small release. And... 
we went to see it on a Saturday afternoon together for the first time with an audience for the first time. And the quality of how people listened, laughed, and then we could hear them crying at the end was something that none of us anticipated. And then it started snowballing and started going from one festival to another. And critics and journalists kept saying, oh, you know, you're going to be in here for the long haul. You'll be doing this until the middle of February. And I said, what do you mean the middle of February? And they said, well, that's when the Oscars are. And that seemed so utterly ludicrous an idea that uh, I thought that this was, you know, a case of American enthusiasm, which as you know, as much as it's welcomed when it comes hurtling at you at a thousand miles an hour and there's avalanche of praise, you know that equally quickly um, they shift focus and somebody else or another thing will grab their interest, the next glitter ball of excitement. And you'll be left in the sort of soap suds of, you know, oh, what? Yep. No, we don't remember what you were talking about. So the fact that it's it snowballed and continued to get this critical um, awards momentum was something that none of us could have anticipated. And, um, Melissa McCarthy had already been through this on Bridesmaids and got an Oscar nomination about a decade ago. So I thought, well, she would. She she's the best guide for how to navigate all this. But even she said to me, nothing. Nothing has been like this. Uh, so you couldn't help but you know, just go along with it. And because I've been starstruck my entire life, I kept meeting people that I had so long admired or newly admired who knew my name or had seen, seen the movie. So that, that was um, extremely welcome and delightful. And then what really made the whole thing even more enjoyable, which sounds like a contradiction in terms, is that the five actors um, in my best supporting category, we kept meeting each other um, at various events and award ceremonies and follow. It was crystal clear to us within a, uh, at least two months before the BAFTAs and the Golden Globes and the Oscars, were the, those are the big three of all these awards in the, the awards season, clear that uh, Mahershala Ali was going to win for Green Book. So we jokingly used to say to each other, and have you prepared your... Uh, acceptance speech and we'd you know do this mime of taking something out of our jacket pocket and say I'd like to thank Mahershala Ali because we just knew that he was going to win so what I'm saying is that it made it somehow easier that there was no false delusion that uh, we were going to get there on the night and suddenly another name was going to be announced so it meant that you could enjoy the ride of it without thinking, you know, do I really have a chance here? That old chestnut of saying, you know, it's just an honour to be nominated. I am living testament to what that actually felt like. And it was genuine. So when people said to me afterwards, oh, you know, it must be awful. You, you must feel so, so um, sad that you lost. And I said, that is not how it felt remotely. It felt like a win-win situation to me. Oh, how fantastic. And I love, I absolutely love that you get starstruck. Who were the people that you just sort of would think, oh, look, oh, I've spoken to this one? After the governor's ball that happened straight after the Oscars, um, there are various parties that go on all through the night. And I went to the Vanity Fair party and there was everybody from the youngest person who was sort of 19 and out of the you know, hatches from Timothy Chalamet and that generation of people to Diana Ross at the other end and Barbara Streisand and, and everybody in between that it was literally like walking to Madame Tussauds. And <laughs> I think because there were no, there were no 
press other than I think they had a couple of official photographers at the Vanity Fair, which you know took snaps of people as they were coming in. But once you were inside the party, it, it was it was a real sort of bun fight that everybody could do and say um, anything that they wanted to without you know um, without censor. So. That was an amazing thing. It felt like the sort of A to Z of fame, all in one room. It was it was absolutely extraordinary. I loved it. Oh well, I mean it, that that does sound intoxicating. I, when you were sixteen and Bunny Barnes, your piano teacher, um, and I've read all about Bunny Barnes and your your love for her, um, uh, and 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 she said, if I'm right, she said, uh, "Never, you can never be too curious." And that, to me, is about walking into those places and and seeing people who have this incredible talent. It must have just been glorious. It was, but what was what I was so touched by is that somebody who is a household name, and I won't, I won't say who she is. She's a she's an American movie star, and she came up to me, and her opening words were, "You won't know who I am." This is a person who has won an Oscar and has an incredible career. And in that moment, I said, what do you mean? I, I won't know who you are. I've seen you on, on Broadway and I listed what I'd seen her, her credits there. I said, you know, I, I know you've got Oscar nomination, this and this and this, and you won it for that. Uh, and her eyes filled up with tears and she said, I can't believe you know who I am. It absolutely summed up the formula that I've understood actors to be, that on the one hand, you have to have a, a big ego in order to survive this career while at the same time having low self-esteem, which is a contradiction because you think, well, if somebody is famous or talented or whatever they are, surely they must know or feel that they are, you know, 2,000% worthy of of their position in the pecking order. But time and again, I've rarely met an actor who didn't fit this this combination of large ego, low self-esteem. You know, it's, it's the nature of what we do. Going back to your earlier question about the Oscar ride and being joyful about it, I knew that it would never happen again and never happened before. So just being there, being in that room, however briefly, felt like some kind of achievement. Can we go back to Barney Barnes, your piano teacher? How important uh, is it? I, mean, I think you're going to say very, but to have the support of somebody in your teenage years who really believes in you? Uh, absolutely profound. And I think from, you know, I remember that uh, Tom Hanks talked at the Oscars and outed his great drama teacher mentor who uh, hadn't been outed at that point. And I think Tom Hanks, in while generously saying how important this person was, didn't realise um, what effect he'd had on this man's life. Anyway, in relation to Bunny Barnes, she was a um, Scottish uh, woman who had come out because of uh, lung problems from Scotland and come to Swaziland because the climate was much more suitable for her recovery. She came out there in the 1950s and she was my English and French teacher as well as my piano teacher. And we then became friends outside of, you know, while I was a teenager, um, outside of school because she was the musical director of all the amateur musicals that were done at the Swaziland Theatre Club where I grew up. And having somebody that absolutely believes in you, um, who is in a position of authority, you know, which she was as a teacher and then became a friend, was something that I can't even put a price on that. Because if your own family is justifiably wary of you going into a profession that they have no experience or knowledge of whatsoever, but having somebody that that absolutely says, 
I think you can do this whilst also being realistic and critical. Um, who isn't in your family? That is was gold dust for me. And we stayed uh, in touch, um, wrote emails and letters to each other um, up until she died. Uh, yep. So she is she's somebody that I value hugely in my life, and I feel that she's she's still here. And I love that she knew that, and, I, and that she saw you become the huge success, and and doing what you wanted to do when you were a teenager. That's so lovely for her that she was able to watch over that. Yeah, no, it's it's true. So um, that was that was a real real bonus. And thank you for bringing her up. Can we talk about? You mentioned Swaziland, and uh, last the very first time I met you, I was I told you that my family were from Zimbabwe, and I'm passionate about Africa, the beauty and the people and the animals and the sky, the African sky. There's nowhere quite like it. That is absolutely true. But uh, at, at the same time, I always felt because I, even though I was born there, I'm a white person. So my father was very, very clear ever since I could remember. He said, even though you're born here and um, insisted that I learn a language, he said, never forget that you're a guest in this country. Yes. I think that that was, on the one hand, it, 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 it saddened me because I thought, well, do I, do I, am I ever able to properly belong here? Um, and I suppose, in a sense, I don't. But uh, it, it leaves a, a mark on you that, as you just expressed, is indelible. So whenever I go back there, which I try and do once a year, um, I don't know whether you have this experience, but just landing there and the smell of oh, it and the, smell. the landscape and just everything about it has an enormous impact. I took my husband and the girls who'd never been and just I'm actually going to get really emotional, weirdly, suddenly saying it. But landing there and showing the girls where my other home was was just incredible. When you said the smell, it that's what made me suddenly emotional. The smell of landing in Harare and coming out and imagining that my granny was still there and my cousins were still there and and saying, this is where I used to come every year. This is where, this is my second home. And then they, they landed and they went, oh, look at the sky. And I, I just burst into tears and I just, it's such a special place. Well, that's, you can't, you know, you can't bottle that. No. Although you tried to with Jack Perfume, are you still are you still doing perfume? Yep, I just I brought out a fourth one called Jack Richmond, which is based on the smell of um, and smell of memories of uh, Richmond Park, which is where I live. But uh, I mean, the perfume thing came about because when I was twelve years old in nineteen sixty nine, I had a mad crush on an American girl called Betsy Clapp with a double P, and she. Um, was very fast talking and chewed gum and is the first American I had ever met. And it was, you know, the summer when Neil Armstrong landed on the moon for the first time. Everything American seemed so exotic and glamorous to me. And I didn't have enough money, to, uh, pocket money, to buy her scent for a birthday present. So I tried to make it out of um, crushed gardenia and rose petals boiled up in sugar water in jam jars. So, of course, you know, it turned into stink bombs. So it took me another 40 years to actually do it professionally. And I was on a uh, chacha during the Oscars um, run-up and talking, somebody asked me about my perfume, just as you have kindly done. And I then got a message from Betsy's sister to say, you are talking about my sister, Betsy Clapp, because I had no contact with her whatsoever in you know, four decades. And I found out that she was living in Maine and that she was widowed. And um, 
So I then started up a, an email correspondence with her all these years later, which was absolutely bizarre. Never thought that would happen. How incredible. I love stories like that. But, you've, but you're very good about keeping in touch, I suppose. I mean, because there are so many stories when I was um, reading all about you. Your diaries, though, that, that, the curiousness and the memories and everything, because you've kept diaries since were you 11? When I grew up, there was no television. Um, they got TV in 1979, I think. Uh, it was a way of, I suppose, keeping yourself company to, in, in some way. And it's also because the things that have happened in my adult life are so beyond anything that I could possibly have dared dream would happen in my life. Um, it's a way of making them real or grounded. Because at the end of the day, if I've you know met extraordinary people or, or done something that was absolutely amazing, uh, writing it down, it's it's a way of making it real and understanding that, I, you know, if I look back and go, well, in 19, whatever it was, this happened on this day, and I didn't meet this person. It wasn't just a phantom. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. So what did you write the day you met Barbara Streisand? Because this this love for Barbara, I mean, I love her too. I mean, the, our faces at the Barbara concert, we waved at one another. I, 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 beyond excited. Um, when you met her, what did you write in your diary? That I had I had a 22-minute conversation with her. I had this extraordinary situation where I was I was filming the player that Robert Altman directed in 1991, and I was at a, a party above Sunset Boulevard. In this room, every single person was household name, uh, incredibly famous, and a 19-year-old actress came up to me called Winona Ryder and started quoting Withnail to me. Um, and I said, you know, thank you very much. And she, at that time, was with Johnny Depp. And they said that they loved this movie. They knew every line of dialogue. And that I had to be in Dracula, that she was going to be in, to be directed by Francis George Coppola. And while I was listening to this, out of the corner of my eye, I saw somebody that I thought was Barbara Streisand about four metres away. And I said to Rosanna Arquette, who was talking, who was with Winona, and I said, is that Barbara Streisand? And she said, yes, do you know her? And I said, no, I don't. And I started sort of frothing at the mouth. And she said, well, do you want to meet her? And I said, you want to meet her? So she said, well, hold on. She said, I know her. So she went off and... Uh, I said, oh, but you have to, you have to know, know in advance. I've just seen a preview because I knew the screenwriter, Becky Johnston, of Prince of Tides that, that had been done. Just tell her that so that at least that, that was my sort of get in so that she wasn't just being asked to meet a total stranger. Anyway, Rosanna Arquette went off and 10 minutes later she came back and she, she said these magic words. She said, Barbara Streisand, this is Richard E. Grant. Richard E. Grant, this is Barbara Streisand. And... Um, Streisand said to me within the first, I think, 60 seconds, she said, are you stoned? I said, no, no, because obviously my pupils were about to dilated to the size of golf balls. I said, no, 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 I just completely... And she was, you know, she obviously has, you know, spent decades of her life dealing with maniacs like you and I coming up to her and going, sort of unable to, you know, keep it together. And like a good psychiatrist in um, a mental asylum, she diverted me and, and started talking about something else. And she said, you know, I'd seen you in Henry and June. Can you tell me about Philip Brusolo, the cinematographer? And then got round to Prince of Tides. And um, so that was the conversation we had. And then I've subsequently seen her at concerts and things. But uh, when I tweeted this thing during the Oscars that um, I had written a letter to her when I was 14 and I, I quoted what this letter was, 
And this accompanied a picture of myself standing outside her gates at her Malibu house. And a day later, she replied, um, which absolutely floored me. And she was very complimentary about the film. And she said, love Barbara at the end of it. And I literally, (laughs) I levitated. And then I subsequently met her for an entire evening at Donna Karen's house. Um, So I had a two hour one-to-one conversation with her uh, that went on till one o'clock in the morning sitting closer than I am sitting next to this uh, screen talking to you right now. And that I remember every, I literally, as soon as, as soon as I went, I went back to where I was staying, I wrote down verbatim every single thing that uh, we had dis- discussed. So uh, one of which was that I told her within about five minutes of speaking to her that I had commissioned a, a three foot tall sculpture of her profile and she said no you're crazy and I said yeah I know that and she's no no you are insane you you are insane (laughs) so I said yes gratefully acknowledge that so I have that I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I know what you've... I've seen pictures of it on your, on your social media. It's beautiful. It is. Absolutely amazing. Huge. And so it's in my garden. So I see her every day. I love that. I've got two hours with somebody that you've felt so passionate about since the age of 14. Yeah. And I wasn't, there was no, you know, that thing where you can meet somebody who's your idol and you can be disappointed because the flesh and blood version of them doesn't begin to match the fantasy conversation you've had with them in your head and your heart for decades but um, it was amplified rather than um, reduced uh, meeting her in, in, in that circumstance. But I think it, I, you know, people always say, and I'm sure people always ask you, was it disappointing to meet so-and-so? I don't think anybody should ever be disappointed to meet whoever it is, because so long as you, you're curious, I'm curious, I'm nosy, actually, I'm not, I'm just nosy. But everybody has a story. And to meet the people that you've always wanted to meet, it's such an incredible, we're so privileged to do that. I agree. And her husband, James Brolin, was very accommodating. 
because uh, there was nobody left at this party by one o'clock in the morning, except for um, James Ronan was talking to Donna Karen, and I was, you know, sitting on a sofa bed next to a pool, you know, yakking away to his wife. So um, uh, that I'm very grateful to him for him allowing me that amount of time. Oh, that's so lovely. Do do, do you fit, still feel that about anybody else? Is there still somebody that you'd like to meet now? No, there are lots of people I like to meet, but um, the person that I you know like to jump the bones of that's you know that remains <laughs> the one and only. I ask everybody in this podcast, what makes you laugh? What makes you properly belly laugh? Uh, there's an actress that I'm sure you've never heard of called Dame Julie Walters. <laughs> She's extraordinary because Julie is not anecdotally funny in that you don't you don't sit with her and she tells you know endless showbiz stories or things that are funny. She is just has funny bones, and to be in her company um, is one of the great privileges and delights of life. Never mind. Uh, just the fact that she happens to be an actor as well. Um, so her view of things and her generosity and inclusivity are something that um, I, you know, I don't see her that often. But when I do, it feels like you know the sun has come out five times over. So she is she is the person that is the funniest person I think I've I've ever met and know. I'm just going to tell you a story about her because that's very interesting. Earlier you said about. Do you know who I am? And I, I, I don't say this publicly, so I'm saying it now for the first time, but a, a few times I've met um, Julie and each time she comes up and she runs up to me, she says, oh, I don't think you know who I am, but my name's Julie. Do you remember me, Gabby? And each time I, I just hug her and say, are you, are you mad? She's just lovely. Yeah, I agree. Wholeheartedly. Can I just ask you about Steve Martin as well? Because this is somebody, because you did LA Story with him, and I read that you've kept all of the faxes that he, in those days of fax, people who are listening to this might not know what a fax is, but those were when emails could be printed at home through a funny machine. But but you kept all of the faxes backwards and forwards from LA Story. Is that right? Uh, he has kept them all. Um, I've kept, I've obviously have the emails that we, our email correspondence over the last 20 years, but he kept the stuff that we faxed each other since 1990. Um, and he said to me rather cryptically, it's as thick as a Bible. And I said, this has to remain completely confidential and he said well <laughs> i've got this so you know as you are if you're great friends with somebody incredibly honest and forthright about stuff so um yes it has it uh i, I hadn't taken on board uh how thick it was but when i last saw him he showed me this file that filled a shoebox he has the evidence i love things like that um okay we have to go to with Nell and i uh, and the the joy of your um, doing the quotes, the lockdown quotes from Withnail and I. Do you really, you remember every word of the script? I mean, we all do. It was the only script that I've ever remembered, um, apart from bits of Shakespeare. But uh, And this, those uh, lockdown quotes came about because somebody uh, on Twitter asked me to, if I would record a line and um, post it. So I did. And then uh, as these things happened and without any premeditation or you know planning or whatsoever um that 
snowboard and people said, well, could you do this line? Or so I became a kind of human jukebox of, well, could you do this line? Or could you do that one? So that's how it came about. And I, I had no idea that it would become as big a little thing that it, that it did. Did you know that the film would become? None of us had any idea because when it came out, it was, I think it was released in about six cinemas, was around for a few weeks, got pretty mediocre reviews. And then disappeared, obviously, um, video and then subsequently DVD um, prior to streaming were the things that gave it this uh, student and university life and developed a cult following. But without that, then, you know, it, I think nothing would have happened to it. So it then got re-released, I think, 10 years after the film was made, um, a much wider release. So it's it's been a real slow burner of a success story, really. Um, and it's, and had nothing going for it because the, they said the title was unpronounceable. Nobody knew any of the actors at the time who were in it. Crocodile Dundee was the big hit of 1986 when we were filming it. So this film had no women to speak of, crocodiles or <laughs> car chasers, or any of the things that, you know, were supposed to be box office at that point in time. So the fact that it has this status now as a great British comedy is something that none of us could have anticipated. So, you know, very grateful for it. I, I, but I get that. Every time you talk about it, you can hear the, the gratitude. I get, the, I get that you're pretty grateful for a lot of things. I mean, if you could, you know, that is definitely a sliding doors moment, that film for you. But if you could go back and do any of the films, this isn't my question, okay? This is my 13-year-old's question. She wants to know if you could go and do any film again, I think she wants you to say Star Wars, but, but I haven't told you that. Uh, if you could do any film again, <laughs> which film do you think, oh, I, I'd like to do that all over again? Gosh, you know, I never, until I get, I'm in the situation now with you asking me these questions, I'm I'm always thinking about, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the next job that I'm doing or the one that I've just finished. So um, I don't. I don't look back too much. That's a good way to be. Well, you're talking about things that you're doing in the future. So obviously everything, uh, everyone's talking about Jamie. I've seen the stage show. I remember seeing the original documentary. Um, so you finished doing that because that comes out any minute, doesn't it? Well, it was supposed to get because of COVID. It's now coming out at the end of February. Okay. And, and also, are you still doing the show in the States? Are you still doing Dispatches from Elsewhere? No, I finished that last year and I've, I've just oh, come okay. back from Atlanta and I've done uh, a part in a Lo the Loki series with Tom Hiddleston. Of course, Loki. So when does that come out then? I, I have no idea because they're, they're still filming it as we speak. So I, I, I literally have no clue as to when it, when it comes out next year, next year sometime. And do you know what, what the next job is from now or are you having that? I do and because of the things are so... People are so wary of information getting out or what parts people are playing that I'm under embargo to, to not say what it is. <laughs> I love that. I love that. But when isn't it like that when you do Star Wars? Because Star Wars, you're not allowed to even tell anybody the name of the character or something. Yeah, absolutely. They, they, they called the film something else. While we were making it, um, you, I wasn't. I never even told my wife and daughter the name of the character. No. And you had to go from. You had to be covered in a hood and a cloak, going from, you know, the trailer where you get dressed and made up into the what? actual studio because there were drones flying overhead, um, trying to get information. And I know on a daily basis that makeup and 
hair and costume departments were sent misses from various tabloids and magazines saying, can you please give us any information? We'll pay you this money. That is how curious people are. The same thing happened on this Loki job as well. Same thing. You had to wear a cloak. And... You're kidding me. <laughs> Seems ludicrous to me, but that's the way of the world at the moment. So with all the important things that are going on, they put send drones over, the, over Loki and Star Wars so you don't know who might be coming from a trailer. Exactly. Yeah. Or what, what character they might be playing or what costume they're going to be wearing. You know, in the scheme of things, it's, you know, it's completely bonkers. I think we need some bonkers. We really do need some bonkers right now. <laughs> um, uh, Richard, you are a complete not a joy. I'm go- I know I started like that and I'm going to end like that because you really are a joy. And for so many years, you've given me such pleasure with all of the films that you've done, all the interviews I've watched and each time I've met you and on social media please carry on doing what you do because I hope you understand what pleasure you give a lot of people and I know from the beginning you obviously don't like a compliment but please take it and I mean every single word of it so thank you so much for joining me on this thank you Gabby thank you for having me I'm so grateful that Gabby Roslin podcast is proudly produced by Cameo Productions music by Beth Macari please press the subscribe button and it will come straight to your phone on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you choose to listen. Also, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.